Come on, make some noise for Jesus. God, you are awesome. Praise God, praise God. Real quick, John chapter 13, verse 35. John chapter 13, verse 35. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Everybody say this. And then he says, if. I love when we see that there are conditions to what God is going to do in the Bible. One of the reasons I love this is because religion says there are no conditions. Religion just says God's just going to do it because he wants to do it and all these things. But when we read the Bible, we see that there are conditions. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another before you're seated. Father, your presence has already been so rich in this house. We thank you for your visitation and we ask that you would move in this place right now, God. Do something in all of us. Give us divine understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, everyone who's gonna preach with me, you can be seated. If you're not gonna preach with me, you can remain standing. I'm excited. David's not going to preach with me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited about today. We are baptizing some people into the family of God today. This is so awesome. It is an amazing day. I'm joined with my wife to say happy birthday, Nola Church. It is crazy that we are coming up on 10 years. Uh, we're celebrating on the 18th, but birthday Sunday, or actually birthday is actually September 16th. We launched on September 16th in 2012 at the movie theater right here, and God has done some crazy things since. Amen? At real quick show of hands, besides the Wallsworths, is TJ here? TJ was here. He was wearing a Sean Payton hat because he thought Sean Payton was still like the coach of the Saints, but... TJ and the Wallsworth, I think you are the, the, the only members of the original launch team besides the Young family that are, that are here. That, that's really awesome. Y'all give them extra special love when church is over. They've lasted a long time, but we're going to have a good time. And because God loves us and shines his favor upon us, he has opened up the windows of heaven and shined and rained down a taco truck upon us. And it is glorious, and it's going to be amazing. But before we get to that, I, I want to make one little correction. On, on the video, Jake told all the guys that we're meeting here at the church for Man Night, no, we are, meet, we are meeting this Wednesday at Coconut Beach, and here's what's really cool. You don't have to pay anything. They gave it to us for free because they like NOLA Church, and we're going to have a good time. So, guys, the reason that this is important is the ladies always beat us on her night. They always have more ladies show up. So, guys, there is no reason that you shouldn't show up. It's not going to cost you a dime. All you tightwads, you can show up. It's going to be free. Come hang out. We're going to have a good time, and it's going to be amazing. Amen. We started a series last Sunday that we are just simply calling We Are NOLA. And this is less about the name of the church and actually what this actually means. The name NOLA literally means offspring of the divine. How many of y'all did not know that? We all thought it was like the abbreviation of New Orleans, Louisiana, and it is. But there's an actual name that is meaning offspring of the divine. And here's what's really cool about this. This name is derived from the, the Hebrew word and the Aramaic word for the, the plant, magnolia. Everybody know what a magnolia plant is? 
So the name Nola is a female name that is like a short for the name Magnolia, which is a Hebrew name and an Aramaic name. And that name in those languages also means offspring or daughter of divine. I just think that's so cool. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. When we named the church Nola Church, I did not know that. Worked out well. I like how that worked out. It's just really cool. But here's what's awesome about this. God is birthing something new in the hearts and lives of people and he is doing it right here in this house and in so many other places around the city and I'm just excited to be a part of what God has coming up in store for us. Amen. Let's take about 10 seconds and give him some worship this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Before we get into the word, I want to say Buena Asafiwe to all nine locations of NOLA Church in the nation of Kenya. We love y'all. Come on, let's give some noise to them. Pastor John and Pastor Mary are doing an awesome job, and they are not only growing the kingdom, but they're growing their family, and she's going to be having a baby soon, and I'm excited about that. And let me just tell you, come next Sunday, you don't want to miss next Sunday, we have an amazing announcement to announce what God is doing through NOLA Church in a complete other part of the world. I'm going to be announcing next Sunday, so you have no choice but to come. There you go. Cool. Giving you tacos and cool announcements. So, y'all ready to get into the word? We started this series, We Are NOLA, which is literally God saying, I want you to take them back to the foundation, not only that I gave you when I called you to plant NOLA Church, but I want you to take them back to the foundation that is the church that I planted all the way back in the book of Acts. And we see here in John chapter 13, verse 35, that Jesus is unpacking a little bit of what it takes to actually be a part of the church. You don't just call yourself a believer and automatically become a part of the church. You don't just go through the motions and say, hey, I know there's a God, therefore, no, that's not how it works. There is a very clear indicator that Jesus himself is saying, this is how people are going to know that you were a part of the church that I have come to build. And the way that they are going to know is not by your doctrine, not by your theology, not by the trappings that you call yourself a church, not by your light show, not by the goodness of the worship team, not by the, the beauty of the production, not by the beauty of the parking lot, which I hope that's not the case here. Just, just saying. I love church in a warehouse, but our parking lot is ugly. We're borrowing a parking lot and they're making us move out of it. You know, just like, I'm so glad that's not the things that will identify us as the church that God is building. He says, people are going to know that you are part of my family if you have love for one another, which lets us know it is possible to think we're part of the family, but because we don't have love for each other, we're actually not part of the family. And there's a whole lot in this that we're going to be unpacking. And next Sunday, we're going to take it to another layer. And the Sunday after that, we're going to close this series up and go into the second stage of this in the month of October, where we're going to be learning what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. And so today and this whole series, as we celebrate the end of a decade and we get look forward and chase the next that God has for us, we are establishing some memorials as a church community. This is a day that is a day of memorial for those of us from the United States. So many years ago on today, there was a rough thing that happened and, and there's a statement that we make that we will never forget. And in Jesus name, we will never forget what happened, all the lives that were lost 
cross today. And that has become a memorial in our country, remembering that there was a tragedy and how we came together and the nation was able to accomplish some things. But here's what I would like for us to do. As good and as awesome as that is, and I don't want to downplay that at all, I want us as a body of believers to establish a memorial in this house today that we are going back to the foundation that God has laid already. We're not going to try to build a new one. We're going to go all the way back to the foundation that he put in place and we are going to remember for the rest of our lives what God has done in people's lives starting this week. Amen? Y'all with me? Praise God. So we talked about identity last week. And one of the things we learned out of Acts chapter 2 is that there was 120 believers that started this thing. It was a church plan in the upper room on the backside of Jerusalem. And there were 120 people in the room and all of them had the experience. Everybody say all. all. How many did not have the experience? None. Exactly. Religion says that, none, that there can be some that don't, but like the, the word never said that. And that's what we learned. There's a foundation that there is a collective that begins to happen. And that's important because you need to understand that the world and, and the mindset of, of humanity wants to disconnect us from what God has in store for us. And this, my friend, is why there are so many believers with absolutely no power in their life. They're just checking in with the things that they like about God. Oh, that fits. I like that. That aligns with my politics. That aligns with my preferences. That aligns with my comforts. I'm going to lean into that. So instead of it being all, now it becomes some. And as a result, we have congregations that are filled with people that are still struggling with things in their life. The reason that we struggle is we don't understand the divine power that comes from the character of God being breathed into us. And we're marginalizing ourselves and we're stopping short. But when we understand who we are because of who he, because of who he is, amen, we know that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because he has called us out of darkness into marvelous light, we can be the church that he designed us to be. So we talked about identity last week. And today, if you need a title, it's going to be part two. But I'm going to be talking about devotion. Everybody say devotion. This is one of these how-to series, how to live truth, how to live truth. In pop culture, there's this thing and this statement, speak your truth. And we lean into that. Speak your truth. This is my truth. This is my truth. In other words, this is what truth is to me. And that statement, you have to understand what it means. It means that truth is fluid. But truth is not fluid. Truth is absolutely absolute. Because the moment that truth becomes malleable, it's no longer true. You see, facts can be malleable. Facts can be fluid, but truth is unchanging. It's interesting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because God says, I am God, I do not change. I am not a man that I should lie. I will not be changed no matter what happens because he is forever settled. His word is forever settled. We can't have our truth because our truth may not align with his truth. And what happens is in religion, sadly, religion has leaned into the concepts of, of the society in which we've been entrusted and we're chasing these malleable truths. We're chasing what's convenient for us in the moment. When life challenges us, 
when things don't go the way that we like, when things are, are, are making us uncomfortable, we kind of pull back, we kind of check out. And we lean into what we think is true, but it's actually a falsehood. But there is a way to live in truth. Everybody say in truth. And I'm not talking about truth with a lowercase t. I'm talking about truth with a capital T. Another way to say truth with a capital T is J-E-S-U-S. Amen? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. The way to live truth is through devotion. So let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer this out loud. I, I just want you, to, I want you to think about this this morning. What establishes your doctrine? What establishes your doctrine? Some of you are like, I don't even know what a doctrine is. I didn't graduate college, much less get a doctorate. You know, we got some doctors that come to the church. They all smart people went to school a lot. You know, a lot of things, the rest of us struggling to get out of kindergarten. That's just the way it works. That's not the kind of uh, doctrine literally means a teaching. If you remember in, in the new Testament, Jesus says to the people, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. What he is literally saying from the cultural words that he's using is take my doctrine or take my teaching on you and learn of me because the teaching or the doctrine that I have is a light burden. It will not weigh you down. It will actually lift you up and illuminate your steps. The Bible says thy word is a light unto my feet. And th this is why it's so important for us to understand what doctrine is. But let me ask you this question again. What establishes your doctrine? Do you know the foundation of the doctrine that you've been taught? Here in southeast Louisiana, and, and it's beginning to spread all over the world, but right here in the New Orleans area, you, you've, you can just call out, what, what's your denominational background? And you can probably get all of them. The city of New Orleans, a lot of people don't know this, but the city of New Orleans has a legitimate representation of every religion, major religion known from throughout the world. It, is, it has an expression that is happening every week right here in this city. This is a very religious city that does not know Jesus. There's a lot of doctrine being taught, but there's not a lot of Jesus being taught. Let me take it a step further. There's a lot of Christianity being taught that Jesus is sadly absent from. What establishes your doctrine? Do you know the foundation? Do you know where what you say believe comes from? Well, this is what I believe. Do you know its origin? Is it here or is it 300 years after this was written? Is it a doctrine established in protest of another religious system? Or is it a whole religious system that was established because of politics? What is the foundation? Everybody's like, oh my God, where's this going? Just hang on, hang on. Let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Do you simply take your teacher's word at face value? When I preach to you, oh, that was good, that was the gospel. Or do you go, really? I really hope that you go, really? And you get into the word of God. Because if you don't, I could say whatever I wanted to. You believe it. Next thing you know, you're six years away from God. You were believing some malarkey that I made up. Or some other religious hogwash. That was for Joe because he was making fun of me before church for saying hogwash. But whatever, I still love you. Looking mighty drip today. Yeah. Boop. 
What do you believe? Do you know where it came from? Well, I believe this. Do you know where that actually comes from? Would it surprise you that a lot of what we call Christianity is actually derived from pagan origins? It, it, it ought to surprise you. Well, how, how do I find out? Well, you got to go to truth himself. That's what we're doing in this series is we're going to truth himself. I mean, have you ever wondered, like, where did they learn that? Who told you? Somebody, like, was teaching a Bible study one time at, at NOLA Church, and I happened to slip in. Every now and then I'll slip into small groups just because I need to hang out with people too. I slipped in and they were, they were talking about like heaven is a perfect square and it's seven levels and the closer you are to God, you'll go to another level. I was like, hey, hey, hey. flag on the play. That ain't true. I was teaching a Bible study a couple quarters ago and it was mostly young adults and I was quoting the scripture, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And I found out that a lot of people have been abusing people with that scripture to tell them that that's a marriage scripture. And they got stuck up in a hold of waiting on the Lord to bring them a spouse because that was taught from the pulpit. Guess what? I called another flag on the play. That ain't the Bible. Don't make crap up and blame it on God. The word of truth is forever settled. If what I'm preaching doesn't have a foundation here, I will help you find another place to go and I will go with you. But we gotta stay up in the word of God, especially when you turn 50 like me. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Thank y'all, by the way, for the surprise birthday party last night. I was surprised, aggravated, overjoyed, tearful. All of the above. But let, let me ask you this. Okay, we, we've talked about doctrine how many Christians in the house today? Some of you are like, I'm not sure I'm going to raise my hand on that one. <laughs> it's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Okay, Christian. Okay, Christian. Okay, believer. What establishes your lifestyle? Is it your faith? Your politics? The color of your skin? what your favorite entertainer says? What establishes your lifestyle? How much value and how much impact does your faith in the almighty God, Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, have an impact on what happens in your life on the daily basis? Is it a lot? Is it a little bit? Are you on the struggle bus with that? Like the rest of us? Have you ever even thought about this? Because this is a strong question. What God has been wrecking me with all week long is this question, do I actually live a godly life? Not did I go seven days without sinning. You can be disciplined and do, you can do anything for a little bit. But not sinning is not necessarily living godly. Do I live a godly life? Do I even know what in the world that even means? That's why we're diving into this because the answers, our answers to these questions really say a lot about our devotion to God. Because if we're really going to be the church that Jesus established, 
that by this will all men know that you are my disciples. We have to have devotion. And I want to just, I'm going to unpack two verses of scripture today. Y'all are used to being unpacking like 14 chapters. It's just two verses of scripture today. And we're going to dive into this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. That's where we're going to go. And then we're going to look at verse 43 here in just a second. So leave your Bibles open, your Bible app. It'll be on the screen, but here we go. Here's what it says in verse 42. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We see three things. Now, it looks like a four-item list for all of us English majors, Miss Ashley, but it's not actually a four-item list. Items two and three are combined into one, and we're going to unpack this a little bit in today's sermon and also next Sunday, but let me unpack this kind of one at a time. Here's what we see. The apostles teaching fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. Here's what we see. We see a devotion to doctrine, not just somebody else's teaching, but to the doctrine or the teaching that the 12 apostles that had walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years, what they were saying. There was a devotion among the church. There was a devotion among how many? It's that three-letter word. Okay, some of y'all got it. How about the rest of us? How many were devoted to the apostles' doctrine? There we go. Thank you. And to fellowship and the breaking of bread. What is fellowship and the breaking of bread? It, it's, it's two pronged. And this is why it's not separate items in the list. It has two sides of the exact same coin. There is a connection with other people. Somebody know how good connection is when you are in a dark place. You get connected to somebody else. Even if you're not even talking about Jesus, just being with somebody else will give you lift. Amen. Just being in that place of community. And for so many believers, they stop with connection. Connection is good, but that's not everything. And to the breaking of bread. Now, all of us old school Pentecostal people, we, we leaned into the fact that breaking of bread was like when church is over, we go throw down with some food. Next Sunday, there's going to be tacos when I get through preaching. You're going to get two for the price of one. Pastor Luke's going to be here next Sunday, and I'm going to be here. And when we get done talking, we're going to go eat tacos. But let me just tell you, as good as that is, that's not what that's talking about. That's talking about what we call communion. If you grew up Catholic or in some other liturgical form of worship, you might call it receiving the Eucharist. But that's what that's talking about. It's talking about connecting with people, fellowship. And when you're fellowshipping, you're not just connecting. You are also intentionally remembering what Jesus Christ already did for you. Why do we receive communion? This you do in remembrance of me. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we're supposed to, every time we do this, remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid and the victory that he accomplished by coming out of the grave. By the way, next Sunday we're going to receive communion because we want to connect, but we also want to remember the whole reason we're connecting in the first place. Just as devoted as they were to the teaching of the apostle, they were devoting themselves to connecting with one another, but also remembering what the Lord had already done. And then the third thing was spiritual dedication. 
Prayer is not just saying some memorized words. Prayer is a dedication where you take yourself and you lower yourself to the point of repentance to where you're saying you are greater than I could ever be. You are the God of all gods. You are the only one who can do anything for me and I'm gonna lower myself to where I can receive all that you are. This is what they devoted themselves to. Now we can see there was a major result of their devotion. By the way, let me go ahead and just unpack this for you because I want you to get this. Anytime you as a believer, whether you're doing this by yourself or whether you're doing this with a group of people, anytime you as a believer begin to lean into intentional devotions between yourself and your God, there will be a recognizable result that occurs because God always responds to devotion. Here's the thing, we think that God is religious and we get his attention. I'm gonna go feed the homeless people. Nothing wrong with feeding homeless people. Nothing, you, you feel like God wants you to do that? Go feed all the homeless people you wanna feed. But feeding homeless people will not get God's attention. You wanna go build houses for people who, that have been impacted? That's a great thing to do. Not one thing wrong with it, but that will not get God's attention. You want to take all your money and give it away to the poor? Awesome, good for you. That will not get God's attention. You want to hand out Bibles to countries where the Bible's not there? That's awesome. I think we probably should do more of that, but that will not get God's attention. You want to put Jesus fishes all over your car? Odd, but that's not going to get God's attention. You want to only listen to Caleb, your life will be boring, but that will also not get God's attention. <laughs> Nobody get mad at me. <laughs> you enjoy your contemporary Christian music all you want to, but that's not going to get God's attention. We think it will because we think God is religious, so we approach him through religion. But God is not religious. God is divine, and the divine mandates devotion. If we want God's attention, the more that we begin to devote ourselves to the thing that already has his attention, the more active he will be in our story. So what was the result of their devotion? Look at verse 43 here, the second of the two verses that I'm preaching from today. Reverential awe came over everyone. How many people had reverential awe come over them? Was it some? Was it everybody? It was everybody. Reverential awe settled over the entire community. Well, well, that was only 120. No, 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 no. Go back. There was about 3,000 people that were added the same day that the Holy Spirit fell the first time. This is already, by our definition, a megachurch. They just weren't gathering in any one place because that was illegal at the time. 
Less than a month later, another 5,000 people were added to the church. This is a movement that is moving like wildfire. This is not just a few people in a small group hanging out at a Starbucks reading their Bible to get attention from the other people in the room. No, here's what's happening here. They are so devoted to what the apostles who walked and talked with Jesus were saying. They were so devoted to connecting with each other because of what was happening in the spirit realm as they got together and discussed what Jesus had already done for them and there was so much devotion to literally devoting themselves and dedicating themselves to communication with the almighty that God began to do things and a reverential awe settled over the entire community and it was already the size of a small city reverential awe came over everyone what does this mean let me put this in our language they had an awareness of the divine I remember growing up, and I know a lot of us come from different religious backgrounds. And cool, awesome. I'm not. I'm not poking fun at any of them or saying that anyone is even any better than the other. I happen to grow up in fundamentalist Pentecostalism. I'm super thankful for my background. I'm also super thankful that that's not who I am anymore. I get to wear a whole lot more comfortable clothes most of the time. But I grew up in this environment and the, the gifts of the spirit were very active. And my dad is, is a, an amazing pastor, teacher. He's a very dedicated man of God. He is also very much about let everything be done both decently and in order following the word of God. So anytime freakazoid stuff would start happening, like, hey, 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 we're going to slow that down. We ain't going to do that. My mom played the organ in church. There was this one guy that decided it was his gift to interrupt every service. And dad would just kind of cock his eye over and mama would just turn that B3 up. (laughs) He could do his thing. Nobody could hear because that B3 was rattling the walls. We had stained glass windows and they were like swaying from. But I remember when, when the presence of God would be so thick in the house. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. And God had something to say to the congregation and he began to speak through that brother or that sister that was tapped into the flow of the spirit and they would begin speaking in other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance, not as a personal prayer language to draw attention to themselves, but as the spirit of God would begin to speak by the, biblically the way it is in the Bible, not the way that we do it now. And they would get done speaking in another tongue and either themselves or somebody else, God would bump them with the interpretation because speaking in tongues doesn't do anything for the rest of us because we have no idea what in the world you're saying. So God would bring the gift of interpretation to somebody and they would begin to speak. And as soon as this happened, like all us kids were like playing with the bobby pins under the pews because old school Pentecostal, they would shout and their hair would go and the bobby pins would fly. This would begin to happen and you could feel like, you could feel like God go, even us, disrespectful kids are like, oh my God. Reminds me of that song, what would you do if he walked into the room? I'd go have a conversation with him. No, you wouldn't. You, you think you would, you would not. My mind goes to Isaiah. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple And I fell on my face as if I were dead. I couldn't even talk. So he came and put a coal of fire. Like We're like, no, that makes me very uncomfortable, Jesus. Don't do that. (laughs) 
That's not how God operates. But there's a reverential awe. What has happened in the church that we've lost our awe of the Almighty? Are we so addicted to our five-minute sermons that do nothing for anybody? Our three ways to be more effective at school or at your job, depending on how it applies to you, insert your location here. Have we gotten so addicted to three songs, pat them on the booty and run out the church and act like nothing is going to change and we're okay with our marriages falling apart. We're okay with our families living in addiction. We're okay with having no power of God anywhere in there because there is no reverential awe. What does it take to go back to where when the Spirit of God would begin to speak, a holy hush would settle on us? Do we have an awareness of the divine? And I want you to notice this. This reverential awe came on all of them. And and look what happened. Many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. Well, it's just my personal ministry, Pastor. You won't give me room for my ministry. Signs and wonders weren't just happening with everybody in the congregation. The people who had walked and talked with Jesus, the people he had entrusted the work to, The people who were carrying the burden were being entrusted with the responsibility for miraculous signs and wonders. Why? Because God does everything decently and in order and he always does things through the structure of divine order. This is what we learned a few, a couple months ago when the pastoral team did a panel and they talked about the structure of divine order out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 right around verse 28. It was an amazing deal. Go watch it on YouTube or on the website. It was an absolutely phenomenal sermon that the pastoral team preached. I wasn't even here but it was awesome. Because it talks about the structure of divine order. God is not a freakazoid and he doesn't want his people to be freakazoids. He doesn't want us to just do things willy-nilly where everybody's got a word for everybody at every flipping moment of the service. No, things need to be done decently in order because you may not know what's going on in somebody's life. You go give them a word that you made up because you had bad pizza and you end up hurting their heart. You need to have the spirit of God moving in you where it's such a reverential awe that I'm not gonna move until your spirit literally pushes me out of my comfort. I don't wanna be a church that just does what we wanna do. I don't wanna be a part of a church where you're in the service and somebody walks over and touches you on the head, you fall down on the ground, break your neck or break your arm. I don't wanna be a part of that but I do want to be a part of a community that is so devoted to the doctrine of the word of God, that is so devoted to fellowship and divine connection that remembers who Jesus is and what he's done. And I want to be a part of a community that is devoted to prayer because I want God to do something in this world. I can't fake it. I don't want to be non-denominational anymore if that's what it means that I can't have the power. I need God in my life. I got four daughters. I need God in my life. You have kids. You've got friends. You've got loved ones. You need the power of God in your life. Let's choke religion. Let's choke Christian culture. Let's get radical for Jesus. Come on, somebody. Let go of yesterday. I don't want to be a part of a church where there is no power, but I want the name of Jesus to be elevated every time we walk into the house. 
What kind of church is this? This is a set on fire group of misfits that have been radically changed by the power of the Almighty. One of these days, we're going to have a stage strong enough to put a B3 on it. And when God starts moving like that, y'all know what's up. What's this structure you speak of, Pastor? Okay, cool. Thank you. Get back to teach mode. Y'all, the structure of divine order is completely spelled out. It's, It's hinted at. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28, all the way through the end of chapter 12. But Paul literally spells it out in Ephesians chapter 4, starting right around verse 10. There are four gifts that Jesus gave the church. Some people call it five. That's cool if you want to call it five. That's not what the Bible says, but cool. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Pastor, teachers are one and the same. They're not separate. They have a dual role. Now, if you want to call it five, cool. There's literally nothing wrong with that. Some people ask if it was okay if they called it, call it five. I've been wrong before. You can too. It's totally fine. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's, that's, that's a bad joke. But these are gifts that Jesus gave the body of Christ to equip the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. The work of ministry does not happen in the random. It doesn't happen accidentally. It happens very intentionally through a structure that he built. He established a structure and a pathway and said, I'm going to do the miraculous through the lens of this structure. But the modern day church, because we don't have reverential awe and we don't have a devotion to the doctrine of the apostles, we're willing to kind of make it up as we go. And we go on the TikTok Toking on spirituality, fixing on pseudo-religion, trying to get another quick fix. And we have no idea if anything they're saying is even godly. They don't even know half the time. Because they're quoting some theological book that was written a thousand years after the word of God was written. This is what the Lord said. Really? That's not what it said. Well, that's what he meant. How do you know? Who told you? Stop throwing out clickbait and go back to the word of God and let the word of God speak. Let's devote ourselves here. And the structure that God put in place is to make sure that things are done decently and in order. And when people abuse that, people get hurt. That's, that's not godly. It happens sometimes. It shouldn't happen. But we're all human, right? You all, everybody sitting next to humans? Cool. It was just, that ever changes, I'm out of here first. I promise you, do not get between me and the door. I will hurt somebody. But this structure of divine order provides a pathway. Notice this provides a pathway that the miraculous uses to enter into the body and then to flow through the body. People like to come up to me, oh, the Lord just spoke this to me in the moment. But he didn't say it to me. Oh, you're putting yourself on a pedestal. No, I've just got different responsibility than you. And God's not going to speak something to this church that he doesn't first speak to me. 
my primary overseer, Pastor Luke, is going to be here next week. This dude is way older than I am. He's way more saved than I will ever be. He's probably forgotten more about the Bible than I will ever learn. Sometimes he scares me when he gets in the pulpit because I have no idea what he's going to do. You'll see what I mean next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be great. But here's what I've always found interesting about my relationship with Pastor Luke. I asked him to serve as an overseer and we got knit together spiritually. We're, we're friends, but he, he's my spiritual leader and I, I trust that foundation. Even as a man of God who has been alive longer than I have, who's been saved longer than I've been alive, he will never violate the role that God called me to fill in this church. He has never one time in the last eight years that he has served as my overseer ever called and said, hey, this is where the church needs to go. Never. He calls and says, what's God speaking to you? Well, I'm not really listening, so I don't have anything. Okay, you need to pray and then call me back. <laughs> Why? It's, it's not that I'm special. I, I'm not. I promise you I'm not. Look at that wall of goofy photos. You will find out just how jacked up I am. Especially the one in the top right-hand corner, my emo phase where I was making fun of my daughters. It was totally awesome. I was reliving my teenage angst. It's back when Bieber had the neck twitch and he was trying to get his hair and I was making fun of my daughter because they were obsessed. Anyway, don't, don't dwell on it too long. It's a weird picture. You can make fun of it. I'm, I'm totally okay with it. But anyway. But God called me to a special responsibility to establish a community of people in this city. And then if, if this is your home church, you chose to make me your pastor. God didn't, you did. But if you chose that, you need to trust that I'm hearing from God. And if I'm not, go somewhere else. But if you can trust that I'm hearing from God, and the way that you're going to know is if I'm teaching the apostles' doctrine. By the way, the only way you're going to know what the apostles' doctrine is is if you're devoting yourself to learning the apostles' doctrine to hold me accountable. Who's going to hold you accountable? You are every time you hear me preach because you're going to say, that ain't in the word of God. Or, whoa, I never read it like that. That's okay. God has entrusted responsibility to me because I'm one of those gifts that God has given you to equip you to do the work of ministry take my role very seriously. I don't think it makes me special. In fact, I don't think it makes me better than any of you. In fact, my role is to get down as low as I can so I can lift you up as high as my little short chunky arms can get you so I can get you closer to Jesus. It's not my job to lord over you. It's my job to get under you and get you connected to the mighty God because he's the only one who can save you. There's not one thing that I could ever do. And this is the structure of divine order. And this is what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to what God was doing and God began to work through the order that he had already put in place. So real quick, I'm, I'm about to transition. Jay, y'all come help me out. Anybody need a miracle in your life? Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hand, I got you, I know. Sometimes it's hard to raise your hand in a setting like this. And it's okay, you don't ever have to raise your hand, by the way. You don't ever have to. God sees your heart. Men look on the outside, but God sees the heart. 
But sometimes I have everybody raise their hand because I want you to see that you are not the only one going through what you're going through. It may seem like that. That's why you need to have fellowship with people who are going to remember what Jesus has already done. So when they get done talking about what Jesus has already done, you'll sit down. Let's, let's pray about this situation. What is the apostles doctrine about this? And you start and then you see it's like all connected. God begins to move in this setting. And so many of us raise our hand that we need a miracle in our life. Well, I thought miracles ended at the end of the book of Acts. No, they did not. You're still alive. You're still breathing. You still need a miracle. We need a miracle. Our world needs a miracle. Our politics needs a miracle. Our entertainment needs a miracle. The saints need a miracle today. Did LSU win last night? Miracles still happen. It was a game with Southern. No, we had that one. Next one. We need a miracle at the next one. Y'all, we need miracles in our life. Miracles are not just these random ancient things that used to happen. No, God does miracles every day. How do you know? Because plants are still growing from seeds. Back when I was growing up, not quite 50 years ago, but really close to 50 years ago, they're never going to stop. There was a old, he was old at the time. Some of y'all may even remember this name. I don't know. It was gospel, but it wasn't like choir gospel. I grew up listening to some choir gospel. It wasn't Southern gospel. Like they didn't have banjos and stuff. That's just weird, but scared when they start playing that kind of music in church like this ain't my church I'm out of here but it was like it was gospel but with a twist Danny you may remember this you're like 52 right yeah. do you remember Teddy Huffam in the gyms you remember Teddy Huffam in the gym Teddy Huffam y'all to find I'm sure there's on YouTube somewhere there was like that old school temptations quartet style stuff oh it was so good just like good music. You could understand what they were saying and it was awesome. <laughs> Not like anything these kids are listening to. These Get off my lawn. <laughs> working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> but Teddy Huffman, when he would do his concerts, he used to say something all the time. He was talking about God still being God and he said, Jesus is still in the string bean business. I never knew what it meant. So I asked my mom, what does Brother Teddy mean when he says this stream bean business, Mom? That means stream beans are still growing, which means God's still doing miracles. And if he's still making plants grow, can he not still fix problems in your life? If he's still making the sunrise, if he's still making the rainfall, if he's still making the moon go across the sky, making the stars shine at night, how much more does he love you? If he dresses the lilies, if he watches over the sparrow, how much more? You're the apple of his eye. And if you're going through something, you need a miracle in your life. How much more? Here's how we get to the place where the miraculous happens. We have to get in the position where reverential awe will begin to take place. 
So I'm going to give it to you real quick. Three ways the church was devoted to living truth. And if we can do this, if we can imitate these devotions and start living them out, God will start to move. Number one, they were devoted to doctrine. They had a devotion to true doctrine. Go back to a question I ask you, is the doctrine that you follow based on the Bible or is it based on traditions or denominational practices? Because the church that Jesus built follows the doctrine that he taught. Let's go to the next one. They had a devotion to community. So let me ask you this question in your life. This is, this is not a collective question. This is an individual question for every one of us in this room, myself included. Is the community where you're connected bringing you closer to Jesus? Or is it just bringing you closer to other people? Because if you're making friends, but you're not growing spiritually, that's not a community devoted to Jesus. Number three, they had a devotion to spiritual dedication. Let me ask you this question. This is a real one. Is your lifestyle determined by your preferences and your desires or by a passion to be more like Jesus? This is just what I feel. How do you feel? I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus because when I'm more like myself, it doesn't go real well. When I lean into my preferences, it doesn't go real well. But when we're trying to imitate Jesus, we're a part of his church because his church follows the example of his life. I don't know what we're supposed to do. Go to those four gospels. Spend some time seeing how he lived. Just start trying to do any of the stuff that you read there. That's a lifetime right there. Because the closer we get to living like him, the closer we are to him. Nola Church is not going to be a church that chases religion. We're not. If you want to be a part of something that's religious, you're probably not going to like it here. If you want to be a part of something that's political, you're definitely not going to like it here. Because I'm going to make fun of Republicans, I'm going to make fun of Democrats and Independents, Libertarians, really going to make fun of Communists and Socialists. Didn't work before, it ain't going to work again. Keep trying. It's funny to watch. I'm going to make fun of all of them. I'm probably going to poke some spiritual fun at our religion because all of our religions are jacked up. But I can make you this dedication. Anything I teach or preach, anything you hear in a small group is going to be completely founded on the word of God. And if it's not, we're going to stop saying it and we're going to change it and say the right thing. Amen. Because we're going to be a church that chases after the plan of God. We're going to be a church over the next decade. And this is how we started. It's been great over the last 10 years, but it's going to go to another level over the next 10 years. We're going to be a church that's devoted to living in biblical community. Not only where we make really good connections, but where we're challenging each other to be more like Jesus and remembering who he is and what he's already done. 
And we're also going to be a church that is devoted to imitating the life that Jesus lived. And here's what I believe. The more we devote to this, a more reverential awe is going to settle over us. And an awareness of the divine is going to be birthed in us. And God is going to start doing things that we cannot manufacture. And God is going to begin doing things and speaking things that we couldn't even establish no matter how hard we tried. That's the church that I want to be a part of. I don't know about you, but I'm inviting you to be a part of this with me. So here's what I want to do. Nobody looking around. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Just be respectful. I want to pray for you. I don't want to ask anyone to raise their hand because I want this to apply to all of us. You don't have to repeat this prayer, but just kind of say it in your own words, in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. But I want you to make this your devotion this morning. Jesus, I want my life to look like your life. Jesus, I want my connections to bring me closer to you and make me more like you instead of more like the world and more like myself. And Jesus... I want to understand your word. So I'm going to devote myself to reading and listening and understanding every word that comes out of your mouth because I know that you are a rewarder of them who diligently seek you. And you promised that if I would knock, you would open the door. If I would seek, that I would find it. If I would ask, I would receive. So right now, God, I'm asking, make me more like you, connect me more with you, and give me an understanding of you that I've never had before. And I'm standing here knocking on the door of your heart saying, Jesus, whatever moves you, I want that to move me. If that's your prayer, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right where you're sitting, just put both hands up in the air. We're going to surrender to him right now. Jesus, you're God. We're not. You're greater than we are. You're the author and finisher of our faith. Acts chapter 3 says you are the originator of life. You're higher. We're lower. You're majestic. We're lowly. You're holy. We're flawed. But we surrender to you right now, Jesus. And we're going to make room for you in our story. Lord, we're going to make room for you in this church. We're going to make room for you in our families. We're going to make room for you in our relationships, God. We're going to make room for you in every part of who we are. Because, God, we are so desirous of the miraculous. Not so we can draw attention to ourselves. Not so we can just have stuff, God. But we know that when miraculous things begin to happen, your presence is in the room. Your presence is is very real and tangible. And that's when lives are changed, God. So we are so desperate for you, Jesus. Come on, let's just take about 30 seconds right here. Let's make some room for him.
Here in just a few minutes, we're going to be baptizing some people into the mighty name of Jesus, not only to express their faith, but to wash away their every sin from the stain of their past and to seal their lives for everything in the future and to apply the authority of God himself over their life. We're going to do this. And if you want to be baptized, even if you didn't come prepared, we're prepared for you. And that we have water, what doth hinder you? But before we do this, we're going to make some room for Jesus. Is there anybody that's wanting to make some room for him this morning? Why don't we stand on our feet right here and we begin to sing this song together as we sing this as a prayer of repentance to him. God, we need you.